Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Four Checking TV. I'm your host, Doug Lackey, and alongside me are my co-hosts, Scotty Porterfield and Peyton Trollinger. Boys, how we doing? Here, man. We are here. It is uh, November, finally. We're uh, going to see shake up in the National Hockey League, and uh, potentially, during this episode of recording, we might see a, uh, a superstar get moved to a different, uh, a different team in a different city, so it'll be very interesting to see how things play out there in the situation that we're going to yeah, that's definitely going to be something to look forward to. Hopefully it happens so that we have some more talking points. We can get really excited about certain things. So let's get it going. Yeah, I mean, this is going to, this whole saga might end this evening. Um, I feel like I've been just talking like a broken record about the Jack Eichel trade situation since the beginning of the summer. Actually, probably since the inception of this show altogether. Um but yeah, um, news leaked earlier that from Kevin Weeks that the Calgary Flames have Matthew Kachuk on the table uh, to go to Buffalo for Jack Eichel. And I'll be completely honest with you, I just don't see that. Um, especially with the reports on where the value um, has been over the past several weeks with Jack. I don't see how you give up a Matthew Kachuk in that situation. Um, I could see Sean Monahan being moved, but you know, Kachuk's probably the closest thing you have to a cornerstone piece on that roster. You know, like Johnny Gaudreau's good, um, Elias Lindholm's really good, but they're not really game-breaking players. You know, Johnny Gaudreau, in my opinion, is most comparable to like a Phil Kessel, where he's a really good complementary piece, but he's not your main guy. You know, um, whereas with Kachuk, like he's your identity. He's probably going to end up being your future captain um, if he does stick around. And, you know, part of me also wonders if this wasn't leaked through the media just to try and pressure Vegas end up in the offer um, that they have for Eichel, because I know that there are big thing their big package was draft picks and then Peyton Krebs and Nick Hague, um, which isn't enough. You know, I think with this report coming out, I think that this might pressure the golden Knights into giving up someone like maybe an Alex Tuck in a trade to get Eichel in Vegas, you know, that would help even out the cap as well um, to an extent. So what do you guys think of that? off uh, what the actual tweet was from Kevin Lewis. He said, all asking, my understanding is that the Flames have Kachuk, an upcoming first-round pick, a former first-round pick, and two prospects in the Eichel sweepstakes with the Sabres. So I think well, – I agree with you, Dougie. I feel like, you know, Matt Kachuk is, uh, has been there for quite some time. And if we're being honest, he's got a shot at being the next Flames captain. You know, I think that's going to be uh, – I just don't see them – like we said earlier before the show started, like you just mentioned, there's I, I have a hard time seeing the Flames, you know, parting ways with him just for what he brings to that team and what he has to offer. I figured Sean Monahan would be the guy to get moved there. He hasn't been a fit with uh, with Daryl Sutter's new system in Calgary. It doesn't seem like he's going to be a fit either. I figured, you know, he Monahan, his name came up potentially being moved last season and during the offseason as well. It just never happened. If someone was going to get moved out of Calgary, it would end up being him. So, like I said, I just – I don't see 
Kachuk being the, the main piece in that uh, of that puzzle if that if this deal is to happen in the Calgary side. Yeah, uh, back to the whole like you know Kachuk being like that cornerstone piece. I also was going to say something like that too. You know, whenever you think of the Flames, you don't think of John. At least I don't think of Johnny Gaudreau anymore. He might have been that guy in the past. But, you know, Doug, like you said, he's more of a complimentary piece now. Brady Kachuk is definitely the guy that you think of, or Kachuk, he's that guy that you think of when you think of Calgary. And, I mean, it it's unfortunate because with this Eichel trade, if you're going to get Eichel, you're going to have to sacrifice one of those big names. And these teams have to be careful with it because this, is, this trade is going to alter – a lot of teams' futures, either Calgary's or Vegas's, they're giving up multiple first-round picks, multiple picks. So, you know, you have to consider everything. You know, Eichel's definitely going to be worth it, but do you really want to trade away, you know, like you said, your future captain for Jack Eichel? Do you want to trade away Alex Tuck that's been popping off and has been doing really good in Vegas? So, like bottom line is just a lot of things to consider and someone's going to have to get moved. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I understand that we're like freaking out about, I, I understand the freaking out over moving these big pieces, but before people were panicking about like, for instance, this summer, the Rangers said that Vitaly Kravtsov was off the table in a Jack Eichel trade discussion. Look what happened with that guy. They just loaned him to the KHL again because He's he doesn't have a true opportunity to play and develop in New York. Um, there was a time where the Golden Knights were hesitant on moving Nick Haig, and it's like I know Nick Haig is decent, but like ever since your franchise's inception, the entire narrative has been this team is lacking center depth behind William Carlson. So why not go out and get a center to play above William Carlson? You know, and with Calgary, I just think I think having Sean Monahan in the trade makes way too much sense, guys. Um, I know it's a matter of if he would waive his no trade clause, but um, you know, when you think of it, Elias Lindholm would center your top line, and then whenever Jack is fully healthy, he'll slot into that. Um, well, no, Lindholm would center your so-called second line. Um, and then your top line would be to start the playoffs whenever Jack gets healthy. It would be Gaudreau, Eichel, and Andrew Mangiapane. I like guys, that's you know, that's that's nuts. I mean, you guys know that like that, that's like a dream line when you th- think of like how I think of hockey and how I think the game. Like that's that's real good stuff. Um, you know, they did still have Mikhail Backlund as well, center in the third line. Um, really, this if Calgary is able to pull this off without giving up Matthew Kachuk and doing something drastic and getting absolutely hosed in this trade, um, they go from, you know, this mediocre, underachieving team that they've been for the past several years to a perennial cup contender right off the bat because Jacob Markstrom's been insane to start the year. The defense is really good. And, you know, they have depth scoring out 
out the wazoo at this point. I mean, they even have Milan Lucic looking good for God's sake. Yeah, definitely going against uh, Pittsburgh uh, whenever Calgary stopped in. So, yeah, like you said, I think, you know, maybe it's one of those cases where that could be – and Jack Eichel could be the missing piece to just, you know, push that team over the edge. Because right now I'd say they're they're obviously a playoff team, but they're not a team that's set to make a deep run. You bring in a guy like Jack Eichel, you know, should he, you know, get the surgery that he needs and recover in a decent amount of time, you know, there's no reason why he couldn't help propel that team to the next level. And Obviously, that you know, would be great for the city of Calgary because they haven't had you know much success in the postseason for quite some time now. So, yeah, definitely would be interesting to see how that would play out. On the flip side for Vegas, I mean, how that that would be huge for them too. Obviously, they're they're already a loaded team as it is, and then if you have the potential to bring in a guy like Jack Eichel, I mean, it, you have no excuse not to win at that point, you know. Uh, about the Calgary thing, first of all, I said Brady Kachuk. I met Matthew. Sorry about that. Second of all, if you had a guy like Jack Eichel to Calgary and the Flames, they've been to the postseason before. A lot of these guys have been in the postseason with the Flames. And then, like I said, you bring a guy like Jack Eichel, that literally could be the piece that propels them. He – the thing with Jack, like, we really just need to change the scenery. Buffalo has not been doing it for him. He's been there for countless years, and he's tried to lead that group, and they don't – he's not getting the support he needs. If you put him on team, like, I mean, it could either go with Vegas, too. Both these teams have really good depth here, and they can actually support Jack Eichel, and he can do what we all know him to do, and he would pop off really nicely. And I just, I just came up with something just insane in the back of my head. What if they set this up the way that they set up the Matthew Shane trade, where Monahan goes to Vegas, Eichel goes to Calgary, and Buffalo gets all those prospects and picks in between. One of the, it's one of the few times, like in the recent memory, where in my opinion it makes sense. Um. You know, the Flames or the um, Sabres would retain a bit of salary on Monaghan. And I'd say that the Vegas Golden Knights would be acquiring Monaghan at around a $5 million cap hit at that point. And they're in a good spot where their top two centers are only taking up like, what is it, like 10 or $11 million. And then they're able to still add around that roster and be competitive. Um I wonder if that might be how this whole thing shakes out because, you know, there's several, I mean, it also reminds you of the um, Dubois line A trade where it's like, there's so many moving parts and there's so many, it helps everyone involved, you know? Um, so I, I would stay tuned for that potentially. Um, I think that that could work out because with where Sean Monahan is at his age, um, I don't think that I think if the Flames were acquiring him, it would be, or if the uh, Sabers were acquiring him, it would be to flip him. Um, I don't think they would hold on to him long, maybe just until the trade deadline or something. But I think the whole goal would be to flip Monahan to a team in the Western Conference that's desperate for center depth, like a Vegas or a Minnesota, 
and try and cash out and keep adding and stockpiling assets for the rebuild. Say that uh, I mean, I hadn't thought of that. Uh, you know, making a three-team deal until you just mentioned it, Dougie. I think that would definitely, you know, benefit all sides. Obviously, you know, looking. We always talk about you know Eichel needing the change of scenery with Buffalo, but I mean, it wouldn't hurt Monahan either, obviously, because he's, you know, like I, I said earlier, he's had a hard time trying to fit in there in Calgary, and I just it doesn't seem to be getting any better. So, you know, maybe Vegas is what it would take for him to you know get back on track in a sense. And he is at that point now where he's in the prime of his career. He's only 20, he's 27 years old. You know, if you get it, guys, if you get, you know, Buffalo or somebody like that to retain a little bit of salary, it could go a long way for him because you're going to have him for this year and next year before he's up for free agency. Again, I'm not even going to add anything new. I, you guys have said a lot. I honestly, I'm kind of in favor of that three team uh, trade now because it literally makes the most sense. Like, I can't really say it anymore about it. Like, Buffalo is in desperate need of picks and prospects. You send all of them to there. Monaghan, like you said, Scotty, would heavily benefit from a change in scenery as well as Eichel. And you could really see him shine if that were the case. Yeah, I agree. Let's just honestly, we're in a wait and see type pattern. Um, but moving forward, um, once again, in Penguins land, everything sucks. Um, Sidney Crosby and Brian Dumoulin are both in the COVID protocol, and Sid is, is uh, symptomatic, which means he will be out a minimum of 10 days. Um, and, you know, it's hard, to, it's, it's hard to evaluate the team right now simply because of how – the infrequency of the regulars being in the lineup, you know, um, that's what's making it difficult to really quantify what this team's capable of. And, you know, I mean, let's be honest, since the start of the preseason, this team's had like one hell of a COVID breakout. Um, like it's just, it's been crazy because you got to think this is probably like, well, Pedersen and Ruweedle went into the protocol the day before, and this is probably like six or this is probably like seven or eight players that have been in the protocol already, and it's only the first week in November. So that's that's a difficult thing. That's a difficult pill to swallow, um, especially when you're lacking in center depth already. Um, I mean, I I really have a lot of faith and trust in Mike Sullivan at this point, but like. I also understand the whole thought process of people starting to worry a bit about where they're at um, and where they're going or where they could potentially end up. So what do you guys think on that? So, I mean, you figure we've, we're already missing Crosby and Dumoulin now. Um, Latane is supposed to be back potentially sometime this week. Hopefully he'll be back Thursday against Philly. We'll st that still remains to be determined. We're also losing Marcus Patterson and Chad Ruiel. They're both out because of uh, COVID protocols. So we get to see more of P.O. Joseph and Mark Freeman and Yusuf Rikula. And then you have uh, Brian Rust and Evgeny Malkin both on IR. So, I mean, it's tough. Like you said, Dougie, it's tough for the Penguins to you know really gauge where they're at this point in time because, I mean, you got so many of the of your key factors coming in and out of the lineup and 
it's hard to really pinpoint where this team should be. And it's going to take a lot of guys that are going to have to step up. I mean, you know, like we've talked about before, Tristan Jari has done a good job so far. You know, obviously the pressure was on him. He was kind of on the hot seat in a sense heading into this season. So far he's handled business well up until this point. So let's hope that that continues. And, yeah, a lot of guys continue need to continue to, you know, put the puck in the net in particular. I know everyone's kind of been dogging on him lately, but uh, and Kasperi Kapanen has got nothing going on for him. That guy couldn't. I mean, he's struggling to say the least. It's tough to watch him to watch him go through this for sure. So this is kind of reminding me of what was the year that the Penguins they made that cup run and they were just injury prone the whole time. Was that seventeen, Doug? Sixteen. Sixteen. And you know, sixteen. There was a lot of good talent there, but it was just the matter of can we stay healthy? And honestly, I see the same thing here. Like, I'm looking at the roster right now. The Penguins really do have good depth. It's just the fact that they can't stay healthy. And the question we need to ask is, can they stay healthy for the season? We, there's so many big names out, Crosby, Latang, like, we named them all. But I personally think that if those, if those players can come back, come back full, strong, just like they were, I mean, there's no telling what the team can do. It's just they got to stay healthy. And they could have the guys to step up, but, you know, like Drew O'Connor has been stepping up. Uh, Brock McGinn's doing what he can, you know, Dom Simone trying to chip in where he can, but you can't expect them to keep stepping up like that whenever your big names are out. So that's, like I said, that's my spiel. They just need to stay healthy, and can they stay healthy whenever they come back to full strength? But we all know the key to what you just said is getting healthy at the right time. Um, you know, getting healthy at the right time, the right line combinations falling into place. Um, you know, it's Crosby getting COVID is unfortunate for several reasons, but um, the thing that kind of like is the most frustrating part about it is Brian Russ is probably going to be back before he is, um, which means there's going to be no time for them to truly explore with potential right wingers for Crosby and Gensel. Whereas, you know, we've talked about Dan Heinen maybe going up there, you know, Rodriguez looked okay up there at times in the past, Dom Simone, like we've talked about all these guys going up playing with Sid, giving the uh, team an opportunity for the lineup to be deeper. But, um, you know, Russ is just going to go right back up there whenever Sid comes back. And that's just going to be what that, that is, um, you know, but uh, the most encouraging thing that happened with the Penguins this week has to be the fact that Malkin's skating. I know it's in a non-contact fashion, but like, the fact that he's progressing this way leads me to believe he's going to be back before Christmas or right around Christmas. Um, and, you know, if that's the case, gives him the ability to get rocking and rolling. He'll probably be able to go represent Russia at the Olympics. And, 
you know, everybody will be able to come back after that break and just be, be ready to run it, you know, because it's going to be a very fast stretch run of the season this year with the Olympic break added. And um, there's really going to be no margin for error, um, especially if you're a team like the Penguins, where it looks like they're kind of just going to tread water until um, everybody gets back and healthy. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think, I think Malkin's going to be back by Christmas, which is going to be massive. It's just a matter of how good is he going to look? How, how much of a difference is him having this knee surgery going to make at this point in his career? I mean, the thing that everyone needs to focus on right now is just, you know, how long can, I mean, how much longer can the Penguins tread water? Because right now their version of treading water isn't working. They are last in the Metro with a record of 3-3-2. and two. And the closest they are to a playoff team, quote-unquote, they're three points back of Philly right now. So it's going to be really, I mean, like you said, we've we talked about it in previous episodes. We talked about it in our preview episode how, you know, this – could potentially be the year where they end up missing. And, you know, it was looking all right at first, and now all of a sudden things are starting to, to slip a little bit here. And they got a major game coming up here on Thursday where they have a chance to climb a little bit in the standings because, I mean, you haven't faced your tough teams yet. You know, you have we have, the Penguins haven't faced Carolina yet, who's still undefeated up until this point, by the way. They haven't faced the Rangers, who are doing just fine. Haven't faced Washington or any of those teams yet. So, I mean, the Tough times are coming. You know, this is, we are not exactly out of the out of we haven't even gotten into the woods yet, for that matter. So, a lot of uh, a lot of big games are going to be coming up here sooner rather than later for Pittsburgh. One thing I want to add to that, I personally see it as a positive. We we are still early in the season, which is good. We're very early in the season, and we I know we are Penguins are last in the Metro right now, but. I mean, I think if Mike if Mike Sullivan can just keep motivating his those depth players, just to keep just keep in contention at least, just keep keep it competitive and just keep going. By the time, hopefully, that's what we're all thinking. By the time Crosby, Russ, Malkin can all come back, they can make a solid playoff push. So that that's what that's the hope I'm clinging on to is that it's just early in the season. They're just they're out. They don't have all their guys right now, and they're just going to try to keep it competitive until they actually come back and are fully healthy. Yeah, that's that's the whole key. And like, you know, the games that they have until Crosby would be slated to come back aren't really that crazy. Um, I'm never really worried about them against the Flyers. Um, Minnesota has been very good to start the year. And then next Tuesday, they have Chicago, which. Oh, boy. (laughs) That is what that is. Um, The next that then that Thursday, they'd have the Panthers, which. It all depends on whoever you start in goal. If you start to Smith, you're probably going to get absolutely destroyed um, at this point in the game. You know, I mean, they don't really have a lot of crazy matchups, in my opinion, up until, you know, that Sunday, November 14th, where they play the Capitals, which, you know, who knows who else is going to be back by that point. But, um, 
probably the most concerning thing to start the year, um, in my opinion, has been Brian Dumoulin and his play. Um, he hasn't looked himself at all. Um, and, you know, when, when you look at a lot of metrics, he's bottom of the bottom of the barrel um, in a lot of them. And it dragged down Chris Letang to start the year where he kind of just looked all right. And then, you know, once Letang had COVID and Marino went up with him, Marino went right, right. He, just, he completely tanked in terms of production and on ice metrics. So is there, do you guys think that there's cause for concern right now with Brian Dumoulin's play to start the year? And do you think that it's something that will be able to sort itself out? I mean, I feel like we've seen this in the past with um, defenders who play the same style that Dumoulin does where they're really good and consistently good for an extended period of time. And then they suddenly just fall off a cliff. So what do you guys think of that? I don't think this is one of those situations. I think, you know, we got one thing we got to remember is, you know, Brian Dillon was a guy who's dealt with a lot of injuries over the, uh, the past few years. And sometimes, you know, that can hamper a guy because, I mean, you know, he's been out of, in and out of the lineup consistently. So, you know, what he needs is just some, like an extended amount of playing time that he's clearly hasn't gotten over the past few seasons. Once he gets that, I think he'll be fine the way he is. You know, it's just a matter of, you know, gaining some consistency in his game that he hasn't had for a while. Yeah, I mean, it. like I said, going back to what I said, it's still really early in the season. I know, you know, past eight games, he's only put up one point and it's been an assist. He hasn't even got a goal yet, I don't think. But it's, like I said, it's still early in the season. I think a lot can change. I think this is just one of those – like I said, they're just trying to compete. They're trying just to stay in it until the main guys can come back and then the Penguins can finally show off the depth that they do indeed have. And I think Dumoulin will – he'll come back to himself whenever that comes up. So I don't – now, if they continues to play like this for the trade deadline, then that's a different conversation. But right now, I think – that's what I've been that's what I was trying to get at is if he's still playing like this in let's say like February you know you start to wonder do you have to do something about it because if you were to move him that keeps Mike Matheson in the picture long term and that's a guy who hasn't necessarily been bad and that frees up cap space enough to the point where keeping the current core intact and extending someone like Brian Russ could become a legitimate possibility. That's true. Um, because as much as people think that Brian Russ is going to get paid, while I do agree with that to an extent, I don't think he's going to get paid as much as people think that he's going to. I think that his next contract structure would look very similar to what Jason Zucker's current contract is where it's probably like a four to a five-year deal at a $5 million plus cap hit. Um, and with what Brian Russ has provided the past several years for the Penguins, and if he comes back and rebounds off of this injury, by all means, I'm, I'm with it. You know, I'm with it. I'm down for the cause. And, you know, I think that that allows them to – you know, at least stay in some form of respectful contention going into the end of the Crosby Malkin era. 
definitely a possibility. You know, if 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 Dumoulin does, you know, take that steep decline that we're expecting, you know, maybe it is a, maybe it is a possibility to bring in Russ at that point. I figure he might get maybe more of a. I think he'd be more. In, I figured his uh, contract would be more in the Jay Gensel range, which still is only you know five hundred thousand more than Zucker's right now. But you know that you get the point either way. Um, but yeah, you know, if you can find a way to keep Brian Rust on, obviously we've, you know, it didn't seem possible before, but if you move a certain piece out and are able to, you know, free up some cap space in order to make that happen, by all means go for it. Cause we obviously know how effective Brian Rust can be when he's playing with either Crosby or Malkin. So we'd love to see that continue in the future. And it's really unfortunate too, because one of these pieces are going to have to go if the Penguins intend to keep this core intact and, you know, like we were saying, if Brian Dumoulin keeps this kind of production up, it unfortunately might have to be him or another piece. But you can't have your cake and eat it too, unfortunately. Yeah, while it is unfortunate, I mean, you guys know Dumoulin's been one of my favorite players since this entire championship run started a couple years back. But um, while it's unfortunate, if you can get better results with – um, like a Mark Friedman or a Yuso Rikola or P.O. Joseph playing with Crystal Tang, making only like a million bucks, if that, you got to do it, you know? Like use that extra three and a half-ish million dollars elsewhere and use those funds to allocate um, towards keeping this team a championship competitor for the next at least two to three more years. Agree. Moving forward, um, the the New York Rangers extended Adam Fox. Um, that's right, you heard it here first, people. Adam Fox will make the same amount of money that Seth Jones does for the next seven years, and Adam Fox will probably do triple to quadruple of what Seth Jones does on the ice. So. That Love contract. that for the Rangers. Love that, that for the Rangers. Still makes me mad. God, that's just a horrible way to throw multi-million dollars just to throw it at Seth Jones like that, and then extend them long term like the Blackhawks did. Just, just dumb move. Really dumb move. Well, if the past several weeks have indicated anything, they deserve it. Mm-hmm. And uh, speaking of guys who were affiliated with uh, the Blackhawks, uh, Joel Quinville is out now. Since our last recording, Joel Quinville was uh, resigned as head for the Panthers. So that poses our next question is, uh, who's going to be the next man behind the bench in Florida? A lot of people are uh, pointing the finger at John Tortorella, like it might be him. What are you guys thinking? I think they should keep Andrew Burnett. Honestly, I think that he's – I mean, he's been in coaching circles for several years, um, you know, had a really nice career, was, in my opinion, one of the more underrated forwards of the 2000s. Um, you know, Scotty, the reason that we don't know a whole lot, you don't know a whole lot about him is like he, he was one of those players. He played strictly in the Western Conference. He was Minnesota and Chicago. What? Wasn't he in Minnesota and Chicago for – he was in Colorado, Minnesota, and I think he did finish in Chicago. But most of his um, 
big moments came in Minnesota. Um, he was really, really good there. Um, I don't know. I think I would just keep keep Brunette there. I, I just – I think with the way that team's assembled, bringing in Torts would be way too nuclear, and I think it would cause way too many issues because you got to think of some of the guys you have there. You know, you have Anthony Duclair finally thriving somewhere in the NHL, get being exceptionally productive. Um, you have Sam Reinhardt as well. I don't think just looking at the way Sam Reinhardt plays and hearing some things that I've heard about Sam Reinhardt over the past, over the course of his career, not going to be a guy who meshes, who meshes well with torts. And I really don't think that Bob wants to go back to being coached by John Portarella either. You know, didn't he play on this too? Yeah, he did. Um, you know, but like I understand it because the the system that Florida runs makes sense for Tortorella. Like the players are there for him to deploy his system to an extent. You know, like Barkov and Huberdell, while they are great offensive pro- offensively productive forwards, they have a very good defensive game to them to them as well. Um, you know. Same goes for Anton Lindell, who's one of their big rookies, um, who's having a very solid campaign to start the year, you know, and I mean, Mackenzie Weger just seems like the type of guy that Torts would turn into a freaking superstar. You know, I just, I see that um, with just with the way Tortorella runs the system, but um, I don't know. I just, plus I'll be honest with you. I like him on the TV side of things way too much right now. I think he's been really good. Um, but obviously, I think that he, if he gets another chance to coach in the NHL, he's going to jump at it and go. It's just, is are the Panthers going to reach out? Yeah. I, oh, go ahead, Scotty. I mean, I was just going to say that I don't know if Torts is the most popular option anymore. I mean, he just obviously, you know, his, his uh, coaching tactic, it's tactics and everything. They only have like a, a small shelf life as it is. So I don't really know if, uh, if Florida would buy into it necessarily. I don't, I mean, other than that, I haven't really looked into many other options that they have as far as coaching is concerned. And who knows the way the team's looking right now, they might just stick with uh, Andrew Brunette because they've been doing so they've been doing well, even without Quenville. Yeah. And, you know, Brunette, he's been, in, he's with the Panthers. He knows that system, and it. W- I think it would just be a, honestly, it would just be a smoother transition just to name him the head yes. coach. Don't. I don't even care if it's John Tortorella. It could be anybody. Like if you add a new coach, then that's gonna mess up all the, most likely mess up a lot of the chemistry. And why would you want to do that when you got a guy that's already in the system? He already knows that. He knows all the players. He has good relations with them. It just makes more sense just to bring in a guy that you already have. Yeah, I agree. I think that's pretty much in a roundabout way. That's pretty much what I was trying to say as well. Um, But moving forward, um, a certain rookie defenseman won NHL Rookie of the Month this month. Um, Moritz Cedar was the NHL Rookie of the Month. Um, he had eight assists. He has eight assists in 10 games this year, guys. Like 
you know, I thought I, you, I thought I was nuts for, I obviously mm-hmm. I didn't do it, but I, um, I thought about putting down a futures bet on him to win the Calder. Now with everything that's gone on to start the year with like Cole Caulfield going back down to Laval, it's this guy's trophy to lose at this point. Like he's running it, you know, same, same with uh, Bobrovsky being really good to start the year and Spencer Knight not really having an opportunity to get games. The only real competition that Moritz Cedar has at this point would be Trevor Zegers. And yeah, there's really not a whole lot going on for him. Um, you know, I don't know. It's um, it's exciting, you know. And then I I also have a little futures bet down on Freddie Anderson to win the Vesna Trophy, and he's he's been one of the best goaltenders in the league so far through the first month. Um, he has a I know he has a seven and zero record. Actually, let me see. That might have changed. Actually. He's seven and zero with a nine fifty six save percentage and a one point two nine goals against average. That's unbelievable um, for him. You know, I'm I'm very very excited for him to get into another to get another opportunity to go somewhere that's kind of low key and fun to play, where he's no longer under the media scrutiny of Toronto, where he has to be the main guy at all times. He can just go out there play net do his thing um so there's that i mean he's been absolutely phenomenal i called that one right on the money so there you go yeah i mean freddie has uh done you know benefit off that change of scene obviously carolina was you know a good team anyways but it helps having a you know a, a fresh start i guess in a, in a new place especially like like you said you know comparing the markets of toronto to, to raleigh you know, there's you're not underneath nearly the microscope that you are in Toronto. Obviously, I mean, these last two seasons, see, it's hard to ignore the criticism that's coming your way, especially whenever you know you play in a market like Toronto, where they pretty much live and breathe hockey. So the fact he's in Raleigh now and he's thriving, you're happy for a guy like that, and it's good to see. And I'm glad that he's uh, he's enjoying his time there. Yeah, he definitely looks a lot more relaxed since he's uh, joined the Hurricanes. I mean, he's doing literally, he's literally just doing his thing and he's not under all that pressure anymore. But I also want to throw it back to Ward Cedar real quick. Just like being a defenseman and a rookie defenseman at that and being able to contribute as much as he is, eight, eight points. In the first 10 games, like, that's huge. That's definitely nothing to sneeze at, especially in the NHL. Like, that – I'm not over that. Like, this is exactly why we have a little – I have a little joke with Mort Cedar that he was selected six overall. They could – like, Detroit literally could have drafted, like, Trevor Zegers. They could have drafted Cole Caulfield. They could have drafted anybody but him, but they chose Mort Cedar. And we now are seeing why a lot of people, including myself, was very skeptical of that pick. But he's proven them wrong, and I'm glad he is. Yeah, and I it makes you wonder what's going to happen for the Detroit Red Wings whenever Sebastian Kosa is NHL ready and he comes up. 
because that was another pick this year for Steve Eisman that was greatly criticized because he reached and took Sebastian Cosa over Jesper Wallstedt, who, you know, everybody was hyping up Jesper Wallstedt where he's like, okay, this guy's the for sure thing. But for whatever reason, Steve Eisman knew something about this Sebastian Cosa and he took a chance on him. So hopefully that works out in their favor because they have a lot of the key pieces already um, in place. I mean, for instance, Lucas Raymond has looked really good as well um, to start the year in Detroit. And, you know, if they're able to figure out who's going to be the goaltender of the future, um, a lot of the stuff that they need is in place. You know, it would be nice for them to hit on a draft lottery at this, at some point and get a top end center because, they need somebody to run with Dylan Larkin if Dylan Larkin even does end up being there whenever they start contending again. I think Dylan Larkin, I mean, if they keep building, if they keep going in this positive direction where, you know, Cedar's producing, Ronick's looking really good, all those players, if they keep doing that, I don't see a reason Dylan Larkin goes anywhere else. He's going to want to lead that team. That's a team you want to take control over and, you know, not take control over, but, you you know, lead them to greater things. Like, that's the perfect team. Plus, you got to keep in mind, they, they also still drafted Simone Edvinson this year with the sixth overall pick as well. So, like, that, that's a good sign. Um, you know, he was one of the better defensemen in the draft. And that's going to really help the red lip wings along on the blue line. Um, beyond that, um, obviously, I'm going to look real quick and see if there's anything new going on with Jack Eichel. But um, um, we got we got to talk about the uh, the Morgan Riley extension. I think. Let's get uh, I think that has some implications on what the Leafs can and can't do. Heading into next, heading into the off season, because I think now you've all but lost Jack. There's no way you're signing that guy. No chance. Yeah, I could see that. You know, and I mean, I think a lot of the space that can come from Morgan Riley will come from them. I think they're going to end up moving Justin Hall in the end. You know. And I think that Alexander Kerfoot is all but, you know, he's all but traded at this point. You know, I think that they're going to move him to a team that's desperate for a center for a younger left winger or a younger winger to go play with either Tavares or Matthews. You know, Um, I saw somebody kick this around on Twitter today. Um, not really sure how real it could be or how possible it is. I mean, we all know that a lot of Toronto people's perception of trade values of other players is exceptionally jaded, but um, Alexander Kerfoot for Jordan Greenway. Um, I don't know how possible that would be, but I think that that's, there's good potential there for something to go down with uh a trade of that nature because they need they need a left winger and Jordan Greenway is pretty gritty and you know I could see him slotting in where um, Kerfoot is at right now on that uh, line with Tavares and Marner and stepping up big 
yeah, definitely could. I think, uh, you know, it definitely has that potential, I'd say, in terms of, you know, just having, I don't know if it, you have the impact. You probably could have a bigger impact, actually, as opposed to what uh, Kerfoot's doing right now. But, I mean, it's definitely a, a possibility. And I I wouldn't mind seeing it. I think it'd be a good fit, truth be told. I mean, anything would be an upgrade over what uh, Felino brought for him last year. Or over what Nick Ritchie's doing right now. Mm-hmm. Very true. You know, and that's another person I think they'll end up needing to move because he hasn't necessarily shined either. You know, he's actually been, you know, for lack of better terms, he's been pretty damn bad. Um, so there's that. Um, what'd you say? Make him at this point, though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, but I think. I think the Maple Leafs are in good spots since they switched up their lines, guys. Um, for whatever reason, I don't I don't know why they strayed away from Marner um, with Tavares because they were so good together that first that Tavares' first year in Toronto. Um, you know, I understand that if you're Mitch, you want to play with Austin Matthews, but you know, at the same time, like what what's really the big difference between uh Matthews and Tavares, you know, they're pretty, pretty similar. Just, just ride it out and go for it. You know. When you also got to put your team first too, like you can't just say, Oh, like I, I will play with Austin. Matthews. like, no, like you need to do what's better for the team, especially for Toronto especially for the Maple Leafs. Considering their their past, you need to do what's best for the team. You need to do whatever you can to make sure – I mean, literally their end goal is just to get out of the first round. Do whatever you can to do that. I don't care what it takes. Put Mitch Marner on the fourth line of it, if that's what it means. That's what you – that's the mentality you have to have. But that that's just my thoughts on that. Plus, I think Nylander is a better fit with Matthews anyway. You know, like we were talking about it last week a little bit. Nylander's done everything right up until this point, ever since he signed his extension. Like there's no, really no reason to be griping about William Nylander unless you're one of those weirdo old people, older people who think he doesn't check enough when really he's probably the grittiest player on the team. Um, so honestly, I think they're in a good spot. You know, I've always had this thought, like I've always thought, um, that their best chance at succeeding, uh, long-term would be to have Sandine and Lilligren together. And now they're playing together and look at where we're at. Um, so there's that, um, anything else? big you guys want to touch on i don't have anything all right before we go i know i said we were going to lead off with this but i want to talk about it anyway i know i sent it to both of you this week but earlier on sunday a certain yinzer man was recorded on by his son on and it got posted on twitter of him just screaming and just random gibberish about the Steelers. Um, 
at one point he just shouted, um, you got to pick her up, put her down. And it made no sense. And then, you know, of course he's starts, he starts MF and Deontay Johnson as he's literally putting the game on ice. And, you know, I think that that's the perfect embodiment of just Pittsburgh and just Yinzers in general is just nonstop rage. Um, like the only emotion a Yinzer truly feels is anger. There's yep. no joy. There's no <laughs> laughter. There's no sarcasm. There's just straight anger. And that's just, it's the perfect embodiment of Pittsburgh. And I feel that, you know, a fun way to end this week's episode is for the, each of us to tell our favorite Yinzer story. Um oh I know we've all gone to a lot of Penguin games. We've all gone to a lot of Steeler games. Um, we've all seen Yinzers out in the wild. And especially in my case, on one certain fateful evening in the May of 2017, I went full-blown Yinzer over the Penguins. Um, so I'll just lead off. Um, one of the greatest stories I have of all time is I went to the uh, wild card game in 2013 when the, when the Pirates beat the Reds. And the guy that was sitting next to my dad got so drunk that he fell asleep in like the bottom of the second inning. He missed Cueto dropping the ball. He missed Russell Martin hitting the home run. He missed all of that. He missed one of the biggest moments in Pittsburgh baseball history because he was too drunk to keep himself awake. And he woke up. The man finally woke up in right after they pulled. Um, right after they pulled Francisco Liriano and he woke up and he just he shouted buckos at the top of his lungs in a, in a thick Yinzer accent. Buckos. And he didn't realize at this point, Tony Watson's pitching and he didn't realize that Francisco Liriano got pulled and Liriano gave up a hit and he's just like, Oh, this damn Liriano, we're going to lose this game. You know, keep in mind, they were up like six, nothing. And I just started screaming in Yinzer. So now, like, every once in a blue moon, my cousin and I will just text each other buckos in all caps because of how unbelievably funny that experience was. And for me, the night that I went full Yinzer um, was the night of the Eastern Conference final game seven double overtime. And... Um, you know, Justin Schultz scored and as always, I was the stupid one and thought to myself, oh boy, um, Schultz just scored. There's like 13 minutes left in the third period. We can go on autopilot and shut this thing down. I was freaking out guys. Like I, I thought I was gonna have a heart attack and I got up into my kitchen to get like a drink or something. And I was grab. I think I was grabbing like a yogurt or something too. Cause I was grabbing a spoon and that's why this next event occurred. 
when Ryan, when Ryan Dezingle scored, I threw a small temper tantrum in my kitchen. And I slammed the drawer shut where we keep our silverware. And, you know, my house was, my, my house was pretty modernized and older at this point. Like we didn't like renovate anything yet until um, my brother and I got to college and I broke the wood base and the hand with the handle off of this drawer. Oh my god. <laughs> so rather than me having that oh shit moment, at this moment, I think to myself, I'm Chris Evans. I'm Captain America. <laughs> and I carry that thing out there like it's a freaking shield into the living room. Like we go full Avengers assemble in this kitchen. And you know, to preface my parents were pretty fed up with me at this point, because let's be honest, I went full on insane after the Washington series, the flurry winning them game seven, the way he did, did me in both mentally and emotionally. And I was just, I was just shot from that point forward. And I'll never forget they're in double overtime. Um, there was a contingency plan where if they went into the third overtime, my dad was going to end up taking me to the hospital because they were afraid I was going to have a heart attack. Um, they're in double overtime. Chris Kunitz goes up over the boards and he's out there with Sid and Jake. The entire time the sequence is occurring and Schultz is working the puck in deep to um, set up Chris Kunitz for the OT winner. I'm screaming at the top of my lungs. I'm screaming. I literally, it gets to a point where I'm screaming, like, where the F is Connor Sherry at? And I, it's like in the thick Yinzer accent. And like, I'm, I'm like, you know, it's like, it's like to a point where I'm like almost incomprehensible English at this point where I'm just like, where's Sherry? Where are you at? And then Kunitz scores. And I'm like, I'm still, you know, that shot went over Anderson's shoulder and you can't tell, you couldn't tell it went in at first. And, I didn't know what it, I was just still screaming my head off about why, about how Connor Sherry isn't on the freaking ice yet. And then they won. And I just, I kind of laid, I, I was sitting down at this point. I just kind of like laid back and just laid there motionless for 10 minutes. And that's, that's how my Yenzer story ended. Solid, really solid. I mean, the truth is we all have enough. I mean, Peyton and I, you and I have enough Yinzer stories to work until the end of time because of uh, Johnny Jorts. Yep. Honestly. Cert so, certain individual. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's also a time you and I were at that preseason Penguins game and the guy in front of us was just straight up being shady. <laughs> like, oh, it was bad. It was so bad. Oh, Scotty, it was horrible. <laughs> It was so, so bad. Scotty, you have any good ones or no? I'm one of the very lucky people who, you know, can block out a uh, Yinzer. I know when to I know when to see one and I know when to like give away because I know what's coming. But, you know, I think one thing that we can say about all people born in the Pittsburgh area is we're, we're all born with a little bit of Yinzer in us. We all have that moment where it, it just there's its ugly head or moments, I guess I should say. And I can say that I've had 
four Yenzer moments in my lifetime. The 2018 wild card game against Jacksonville. Uh, the week 17 and 2019, in, in 2018-2019 season, whenever they had, whenever they beat like Cleveland or Cincinnati, and then they beat, they beat Cincinnati, and then uh, Baltimore had the Browns had to win us had to win the game, and they didn't. Uh, 2020 during the, whenever they lost in whenever the Pens lost in the qualifying round against Montreal, oh, mm-hmm. and back in January whenever I had to watch that sorry excuse of a playoff game against the uh, Cleveland Browns, I think those were probably the the four times where I just anyone that was around me just pulled out a phone and watched me just go crazy because I'm just screaming at my t- at a TV screen the whole time. It's insane. I, th- yeah, I think it. my my most recent moment, um, Peyton, you can attest to this, was Sunday Night Football game against the Seahawks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Terrell Edmonds missed Alex Collins and didn't wrap up, and I kind of just like went mental for thirty seconds. Um, but it another one that almost killed me um, was probably the the first Islander series. Oh boy. Whenever oh. Johnson and Gabranson were playing together on a pairing. Jesus. That one. Those were dark times. Those were dark times. Um, Peyton, you're lucky you weren't around um, at that point because it was, it was bad. I think if I had to pick my own personal Yinzer moments, um, definitely the one – Whenever the Pens got knocked out in the qualifiers to Montreal, that was that was a rough time. Uh, more the one I was thinking of was the uh, whenever the Steelers, whenever we treated the New England game like the Super Bowl. Yeah, that one. Jesse uh, James dropped it. Mm-hmm. That one. That one was bad. Um, I remember that night. My parents wanted to throw me out of the house. Yeah, I was um, livid over that. Yeah, I was in a very bad – that one left me in a very, very bad mental state. And um, that's pretty much it, you know. And um, it was bad. It was very bad. Um, but, yeah, I just needed to get that out of our system <laughs> because I love it whenever random yens or stuff comes up because it's just so damn funny. Anything else like actually important you guys want to touch on? No, I don't like that. I don't have anything else. All right, guys. Sounds good. Well, well, everyone, this was another episode of Four Checking TV. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Four Checking TV. Subscribe to us on YouTube and look for us wherever you get your podcast from.